Grab your Bibles real quick. We're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 again. I'm going to reference this and let you know that we're going to kind of jump across uh, a lot of Scripture today just to unpack a couple of things. And really what I want to do is uh, wrap up this What in the World series. I started with it last week. I oftentimes say that, like, what in the heck's going on? Like, my statement is, what in the world? And if you've been around me long enough, you'll hear it. Um, so, yeah, just a couple times, um, you know, and, and I want to answer that question, like, what is going on in society? What is going on in our world? Why are we experiencing what we're experiencing? If you t- have your Bible, Second Timothy chapter 3, I know you've just gotten comfortable. Stand with me as we read the first five verses, uh, and then we'll jump into what we have. Second Timothy chapter 3, we referenced it last week. We're going to reference it a little bit this week. Second Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. Follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen uh, as well. It says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. You may be seated. And as we jump into this, I want you to think about really some of the words we've uh, just sang over the last couple minutes, but I want you to know this as well. Truth is in reality one generation from being lost. In other words, what I mean is that all you got to do is stop talking about what really happens and begin to let people make deductions or assumptions based upon what's going on. Truth is one generation from being lost. Truth is one generation also from breaking a curse and changing the world. When we sing about what, we, what, we're, what we're clarifying is that we're to be light in the darkness, I want you to see today the reality of what is going on around us. As a matter of fact, most of the times we walk through life kind of clueless and oblivious to, in, to what's really going on behind the scenes. Most of us are not aware of the spiritual battles that are taking place. As a matter of fact, as you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you begin to see that, what we see is that is a result of Satan working in and around us in and through the people that might be around us, in and through circumstances and situations that go on. And I want to make no mistake about this, that you and I are in a battle. And the truth of the matter is that you can't win the battle on your own. You have no power, you have no authority, you have no ability to do anything about the the battle that takes place. Because it is a spiritual battle. You, your family, this church, believers around the world are under attack. And make no mistake about it, this is an intentional and deliberate attack by the enemy upon the foundational institution that God created. I want to be very clear with this aspect, that every believer is targeted by Satan and will use whatever tactic he can to come after you, to mislead you, to attack you, to mislead your kids, to destroy your family, to destroy your home, and to destroy every semblance of what we would call an identity in Christ. And make no mistake about this, that if you're a person who has been chasing after sin and you give your life to Jesus and begin to desire to make changes and have the Spirit work at you, you better believe that Satan's going to come at you twice as hard. My question would be, 
to you is this. If you're not being attacked, why? Maybe you're just not aware of it because you've been living in a life of sin for so long that you're not realizing exactly what Satan's doing. See, the truth of the matter is, like we just said, that truth is one generation away from being lost. And what we have is a bunch of people who have desired to walk in disobedience and have looked at ways and, and, and looked for answers in everything else. See, the attacks of Satan begin in subtle ways. They're oftentimes right under our noses. And then here's when reality what happens. They become more blatant and more obvious as Satan gets a foothold. See, it's, it's the same way that we deal with in every circumstance and situation. Oh, it's just once. Oh, it's just a small thing. Oh, it's not that big a deal. And then it becomes greater and greater and greater until something has control of you. And I want you to understand this as well. Just because you're in a church and part of a church family does not mean that Satan won't use people within the church to attack you. Paul's words here to Timothy were written to Timothy about what was going to happen in the last days as church people honestly turned on people, people who claimed to be believers, turned on others within the church. And so we live in a time where the only hope we have is a supernatural outpouring of God's spirit and the grace to experience a great awakening, not just in our culture, but what I would say is across the churches, great and wide, the United States as well as around the world. And I want you to know this from the fact that we see all around, I would venture to say between 90 and 95% of churches across the United States are plateaued or declining. Now, those that are growing oftentimes are growing as a result of addition from other churches, right? But I want us to also look at the reality that Satan is at work. And when Satan works and we begin to give Satan a foothold in our lives, that when we give him a foothold in our lives, what we're also doing is giving him a foothold in the church. Every time Satan starts in subtle ways, in blatant ways, in, or I mean, in, in ways that are right on our nose. And then, listen, he becomes more obvious and more blatant. And oftentimes, we just go, oh, it's okay, it's no big deal. I can, I can let it go, I can let it ride, and I'll kind of get things squared away or straightened out in the future. So here's what I want to do today. I want to unpack some very simple ways for us to understand. And I want you to know what's going on, because you are Satan's target. You are Satan's target. Every believer, every parent, every mother, every father, every child, everyone who has been a part of this is Satan's target. And you may be even a person who said, I came to church today, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never really been involved in church, but I want you to know that Satan doesn't care if you go to church or don't go to church, you are Satan's target. But I also want you to know this, that if you're a believer and you're following Jesus and you desire to walk in obedience to him, that please hear me out, you are target number one. And he's going to do everything he can to discourage you, to attack you, to challenge you, and he's going to do it through ways that you may think are no big deal, they're, they're, they're not that, 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 that obvious, or, but he's going to start subtly. 
And we see it throughout the church. I want to give you some characteristics real quick of Satan. Then we're going to jump into his strategy. And then we're going to talk about three things that you can do to to, to combat or fight against this. Here's characteristic number one. Satan twists scripture and questions truth. We see that from the get-go. And you have to understand that when Satan began this, from the beginning of time, Satan has always been one who contradicts, who twists, and who calls into question anything that God says. You may say, well, how do you know that? Well, go read Genesis chapter 3. It starts right at the beginning. Adam and Eve have been created. Yes, they sin by eating the fruit from the tree. But here's what happens in Genesis chapter 3, right? Satan comes to Eve and he's like, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now you may go, well, that's kind of a bad comparison, Brian, but here's what happens as a characteristic of Satan in your life. Did God really mean love my neighbor? Does God really mean that when I sin and something causes me to sin that I really gouge my eye out? No, he doesn't. What he's telling you to do, though, is to get rid of sin. Get rid of the temptation. But remember what I said? It starts in subtle ways, right? Ah, I got it. It's no big deal. And what we do is we oftentimes leave the door wide open. It's not just like we leave it cracked and go, hey, Satan, here's just a little bit. What we end up doing, because it begins subtly, is we open the door wide open and we open ourselves up to attack. And what I want to say to you today is this, that you and I have to be on guard because Satan looks for any way that he can gain a foothold within your family, within your marriage, within your relationship with God, within the church. He's going to do what he can because that's what he sets out to do. So character number one is that he always questions or twists scripture. Character number two of Satan is this, that he blinds the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So it's important for us to understand what's going on, that people who don't believe in Jesus, have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, have a veil over their eyes, and they don't see truth. Remember what I said? That truth is one generation from being lost. So he's a blinding person. He, he twists, he turns, he, he misuses, but then he also blinds the minds of unbelievers. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says he's the God of this age. Get this. This is his characteristic. That he wants to blind you and I as well as others from the truth. And here's where Jesus comes in says he's the light of the world, right? It says he restores vision to the blind. It says that he is the way, the truth, and life. He's the gate. He's the living water. He lays all of these things out, which is completely contrary to what Satan is about. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want you to also see this as a characteristic, that he masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, what that means is this, that he masquerades as something that's good. And we live in a world right now that says, I can put up with whatever I want to believe in because whatever I want to believe in is based upon my truth. I have seen video after video and a conversation after conversation with all kinds of people who say, well, that's my truth. But that doesn't mean it's true. 
We have to get to this point to understand that just because you believe something does not make it true. Just as much as it's important for us as believers to go, well, I believe it. Okay, is that true? How do I identify if it's true? How do I know if it's true? How do I respond to truth? Where do I get my truth from? We say that truth is one generation away from being lost, but we have to begin to dig in and know and have answers for that. So here's the big idea. Here's the big message. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's plan for salvation and life stands in stark contrast to what Satan desires to do. God's plan for salvation and life. And please hear me out. When Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly, he's talking about salvation and he's talking about a life that is abundant and full because God has so much more in store. But make no mistake, when you choose that life, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you acknowledge his death on the cross and his resurrection, that Satan is gonna come at you twice as hard Matter of fact, if you're a person who has come to Christ recently, I would venture to say you've probably already come under attack. I know it. Matter of fact, on Easter Sunday, we were awesome. We were like, oh man, this is great. These are, these are things that are going on. We had four baptisms. You guys realize we had the highest attendance we'd ever had on, on a Sunday morning at Easter, which was great, right? We always want to praise that. And I said, guess what? We know, we have, without a doubt, we know that something's going to happen. And Monday, sure enough, here it came. That's the way Satan works. Within the church. If I can create disunity and conflict and strife and jealousy and problems and, and, and situations, then I can get them off their task. So there's the characteristics of who Satan is. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a cheat. He's a steal. He's a twister of truth. He's the God of this age. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He plays all of these things out. But I want you to know that he has a strategy. And honestly, we could spend months on this as we look at it, but I want you to know that Satan's strategy will not work if you operate or really sit in a situation or a position where God works most for you. So here's Satan's strategy. Number one, Satan wants to destroy what God created. We go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And I want you to know this from the get-go. Family was the very first thing that God set up. After family, anybody know what was set up next? It's actually civic government. We see that played out all throughout the Old Testament stuff, right? And then we see the church being built in Acts. So what does it make sense if I'm going to attack anything, what do I attack if I'm Satan? I'm going to attack foundation number one because if foundation number one is under attack and it flounders and it fails, guess what? Everything else fails too. You want to know why civic government begins to fail? You want to know why we're led by greedy men? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because that's what we've raised people to be. Greedy men are the very thing that they've been raised up to be because our families haven't raised them in a proper way. 
And so, listen, when I say this, that Satan wants to destroy what God created, God created those three institutions, but strong families lead to stronger governments and stronger churches. And so make no mistake about it that when Satan comes after the church, he's going to come after your family first so we can get involved in the church. And listen, that's where the struggle becomes because when I feel like maybe my wife or my husband or my kids got attacked by somebody in the church, what do I do? We're going to brawl. Maybe somebody else in the church, but we're going to have at it, right? When the truth of the matter is simply this, that Satan wants to destroy what God has created. Listen, I see it all the time because people come in and your life has been a wreck. You've been attacked. You've been overwhelmed. You've been burdened. Satan's coming at you hard. Maybe he's coming at you through an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife, or maybe it's a a relationship you're not supposed to be in. But listen, make no mistake that he is crafty in his attack against the family and the church, and he wants nothing more than to undercut what God wants to do in your life. That's That's his plan, to destroy exactly what God created. And the struggle becomes when we as Christians think that the answer Listen, is stronger government. Where has that got us recently? Honestly. This is the problem in the church because the church got in bed with politics when politics is simply an overflow of what's going on in the family. And when the church got in bed with politics, all we did was create problems. Listen, vote where you vote. We have to vote values and standards, please. And I would even tell you this, as Christians, we need Christians who are gonna be involved in politics from a godly perspective, who aren't gonna be misled to chase what the government says is fine and we're gonna say, hey, we're gonna be obedient to God's word. We need those types of people involved in politics. So I'm not telling you not to be involved. But when the church got in bed with politics, that created a problem because then we look and we go, man, our country would be so much stronger if our politics were just better. You can't get good politics from dead people. You cannot get good politics and good politicians and good, honestly, good cultural norms from people who are not going to line up with what Scripture teaches. It's never going to happen. So Satan desires to destroy what God created. And listen, stronger families are the lifeblood of the church. Fathers and mothers who live the gospel, who breathe the gospel, who show and share the love of Jesus to their children and to their children's friends and lead them to love and serve Jesus and his bride, the church, that is an effective strategy to stand against it. And listen to me, I want to say this very clearly. That fathers and mothers, it is your job to be consistent, to consistently love and show your children that church is important, that there is nothing else at this point. And I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about the simple fact that we need each other. If you think you can go through the Christian life by yourself, good luck. You can't. That's why all throughout scripture, it talks about how they did it with each other. When they faced difficulties, they had each other. When they lost everything, homes and jobs, as a result of their faith in Christ, guess what? They had each other. When one was in need because of food and things like that, because they'd lost their job as a result of that, guess what they had? Each other. Satan desires to destroy what God created, and Satan will continue to attack the nuclear family, because it is the first institution God created. 
And remember what I said about this, that truth is always one generation from being lost. A family based upon scripture is built of one man and one woman who are unified in marriage and as a result have a family. That's the natural way that God created it. And Satan wants to destroy what God creates. So the attack of the family is the beginning. It is just the beginning. Because that's exactly how God wants to work. Number two is this. His strategy, he wants to destroy what God created. I want you to know that the characteristic or the strategy Satan has is this. That he hates you and your family. This idea that he masquerades as an angel of light is simply a cover for the hate that he has for you. The Bible is very clear that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are three words that none of us like to talk about, right? We don't like to talk about people stealing stuff, and we don't necessarily want to talk about us stealing things. We definitely don't like talking about people getting killed, and we don't want to talk about killing people. And we don't want to talk about destroying stuff or destroying people, but that's exactly what Satan does. And yet he covers it up with these truths like, this is my truth. No, that's destruction. Maybe you're a person who came in today and you struggle with depression. You struggle with anxiety. You struggle with worry. You're you're even doubting what God created to be. Listen to me. You are no different than anybody else. Man, I remember being a teenager thinking, man, did God mess up? I'm not talking about male, female, but I'm like, did God mess up in making me in somehow? At which point I would say, no. Every one of us need to get this through our head. You are not an accident. Even if you were, quote unquote, an accident based upon what your parents said, you are not an accident. That God sits on the throne and God knows you and God loves you and God has a plan for you and God has a purpose for you and God sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could experience life and life more abundantly. Not so you would look at life and go, I must be an accident. I must be messed up. I must not have everything together. God says, no way. I've got it. I know who you are. I've got everything figured out. You just need to trust me. And Satan says, no, don't trust him. Because if he really loved you, he'd let you do whatever the heck you wanted. No. Satan hates you. And what tears me up about this is when I hear people say, well, I'll split hell wide open. And you don't get the reality. You don't get the torment. You don't get the torture. Like, I am honestly blown away by the amount of people who think like hell is going to be one big party. If you could think of the worst circumstance or situation ever, it would exceed that by 10 times. And yet you think you're going to enjoy hell? Hates. A word that we throw around so callously and so carelessly today. Satan hates you. He hates everything about you, even if you're a person who says, I follow him. If Satan cannot kill children, he will do what he can to hurt them physically, emotionally, psychologically. Listen, by fostering sexualized and confusing content on them, by filling them full of lies. And you, listen, children, teenagers, you better be on guard for this because people are purposely teaching children to be skeptical of your parents and to condition them to believe that if their parents trusted in God, that that's a lie, that there's so much greater, so much more for you. It's an attempt to put children against their parents. 
which make no mistake about it, when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or I mean 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that that's exactly what's going to happen. That parents will become disobedient, or I mean children will become disobedient to their parents. Listen, true parental love will always stand on the truth of God, will always show grace with the truth of God. Yes, we all make mistakes. Every parent, matter of fact, I remember standing, my dad looked at me not too long after uh, my son was born. We were standing at the back of my car. I'd, I was standing there and I said, hey, dad, I need some pointers on how to be a better dad. He goes, if you figure that sucker out, let me know. And I was like, well, that wasn't very helpful. <laughs> and he goes, I think I'm finally figuring out parenting and I just became a grandparent. And he goes, that is sit in, sit down, shut up, hang on, and let God take control. And I was like, oh, okay. But that still doesn't take away the fact that we oftentimes make mistakes. Yes, parents, we make mistakes. But listen, the greatest thing you can ever do for your kids is to love them like Christ loved the church. To love them and to lead them to follow Jesus no matter the cost. No matter the cost, if it cost them their life to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Here's number three, strategy number three of Satan. The enemy wants to attack our disciple-making efforts. And I go right back to what we were just talking about where Satan hates your kids, hates you, but listen... The way he works in the church is this. I attack their disciple-making efforts. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to flip over there and read that, but I want you to just think about what he says in this verse. We've used it before in parenting stuff, but he says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Parents, this is a call to you and me to love Jesus no matter what it costs, with everything we've got, with full and complete abandon, no matter the cost, that I lay everything down. And I love the Lord your God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And then he says, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In other words, you need to know scripture, parents. And you place it upon your heart. And you memorize. And you know. Why? Because he says this in verse 7. Impress them upon your children. Not just talk about it. Live it out. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Guess what? That covers everything, right? In every circumstance, in every situation. He says, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I'm pretty sure that covers all 24 hours, right? You're either working or you're sleeping. Unless you're retired. And then you're working harder. At least that's what I've been told. From people who are retired. (laughs) (laughs) but he says that when you lie down, when you get up, but then he says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Can I just say something for us to think about? In the Jewish culture, that idea would be this, that wherever they walked, they would carry these little boxes that had what we call the Shema, which is what this is, Deuteronomy chapter six, and they had these boxes that were on their wrists, basically on the prayer shawl, and then they would carry this box that had it in there. 
If you saw an Orthodox Jew, that you'll still see that. You go over to Israel, you'll see boxes on them. They're walking around. They're trying to remember this, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they would do it on their door frames and doorposts. If God was to walk into your house today, what would happen? Would it be Scripture? Or what would it be? What are you teaching your kids based upon what is even going on or allowed in your house? And you may say, Brian, you're grasping at straws, but man, I got a full bar full of liquor and stuff, and I'm teaching my kids that stuff. That's important. Or is scripture important? And I mean, that's a, that's a far cry, right? Like, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you you don't drink, but I think the Bible is very clear about getting drunk. But I want to ask you this question. What does your house say to your kids? What do you allow to go on in your house? Do you allow sinful things to take place and let your kids see it and know about it? And then your kids go, what the heck? See, this whole point was to be a constant witness as a disciple maker to my kids. And then listen, Ephesians chapter 4, as we jump over there to look at at really what's going on in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 1, or 6, I'm sorry, I said 4. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may joy a long life. Now listen to what it says to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That idea of exasperation is this, that you're putting things on them that you aren't living up on your own. Have you tied scripture on your heart and in your mind and on the door frames of your house or do you let people see, well, it's not that big a deal Like I walk through Christianity and I do my Christian thing on Sunday, but during the rest of the week, I don't care. Like make no mistake about it. The enemy wants to attack our disciple making. And that's the very foundation that Jesus left us with, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them. Baptizing them. That's what he wants to do. And then number four, Satan wants to destroy the church by destroying the family. Family dysfunction is often more spiritual than relational. You guys get that, right? Like Satan is going to weasel his way into your house. And he's going to create conflict and problems. It may be the fact that there's some things going on. But listen, your kids, your wife, your spouse, they're not the enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this. We jump right back into it later on down, right? That we take part in a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, Satan wants to destroy the church by destroying the family. God is the only one who builds the church. But here's the one thing I will tell you as a pastor. People are good at destroying the church, and it's usually as a result of Satan working in their lives. This is why we don't like to talk about church discipline. 
church discipline comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It comes up later on, and it says basically that when a brother is unrepentant, will not repent of his open, willful disobedience to God and God's word, that you're to kick him out of the church. You guys get that, right? How many of you have been in a church that actually practices church discipline? That's what I thought. You want to know why? Because it makes everybody feel uncomfortable. Like, who are you to judge? Make no mistake about this. Scripture says that we are to judge one another with the truth of Scripture. Always speaking the, gra- with the truth with grace seasoned with salt. And so when I say this, please hear me out. This is not, this is not an attempt to say I'm going after some of y'all today, all right? I just, I would, I'm not, not like most wanted lists, right? I'm not talking about that, all right? I want you to know what ends up happening oftentimes. Because we go, well, we, we, we don't want to go down that road and be judgmental toward people who are willfully and disobedient. Make, make a clarification here. There is such a thing as what we'll call willful disobedience. In other words, when I'm confronted by a brother who says, hey, brother, you're in sin. And you say, man, I need some help. Will you pray with me? Will you hold me accountable? Yes. And he confesses and he repents and he begins to make some changes so he can go the right direction and be obedient. That's, that's willful repentance. That's repentance. But when you come to a brother and you say, brother, you're out of line. And because you're out of line... I'm calling you on the carpet, and that brother goes, I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't do nothing else anybody else hadn't done before. I'm not apologizing for it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to continue going down this road of disobedience. That is willful disobedience against the church, which creates conflict within the family, and that's where Jesus says, out. Why? He says to turn them over to Satan and let Satan sift them. Make no mistake about this when I said this earlier. Satan hates you. He wants nothing more to destroy you. So in order to protect the church, what Satan oftentimes, or to, in order to protect the church, what God does is say, hey, when a person's like that, you've got to remove them so you can protect the unity within the church. Why? Because God builds a church and Satan wants to destroy it. When you allow people like that to stick around and to stay in, what you end up leaving yourself open to is an open door for Satan to attack. Now, again, I'm not saying this as a result of wanting to go headhunting. I'm just talking about what Satan wants to do to destroy the church. So here's how I want to wrap up this question. How do I protect my family? How do you protect your family? How do we protect the family that God has given us. Number one is this, that I have to know the enemy's tactics. We already talked about that, right? All of these things, these tactics, these strategies are the very strategy that Satan wants to use in and against you. So I have to know his attacks. Why? Because he's going to use every weapon in his arsenal to come after you and your kids. Number two is this, I have to prepare for battle with the right weapons. And it's not buckle up, buttercup, because I'm going to get tough. It just don't happen. Like, I've had conversations with people. It's like, I'm ready. Let's go. Right? Like, I mean, we used to joke around people coming out of seminary, right? They were like, oh, are you ready to take on hell with a water pistol? Because, like, everybody comes out of seminary, you're like, fire it up. And it's like, oh, really? Because the reality is you and I don't carry the power, the authority, or the ability to defeat Satan but I do know who does. And I do sit under his authority. 
And the Bible says very clearly that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that when you come to me through prayer and petition, that I'm going to give you what you ask for, that you can fight your battles on your knees, that you can stand against the tactics and the enemies of Satan because I go and I listen to the Spirit and I listen to his word and I align my life under the truth of his word. And when I align my life under the truth of, my word, of his word, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be attacked. It just means that I can face every attack that the enemy throws at me, that every fiery dart he shoots at me, I'm able to do that. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 6 is all about putting on the armor of God. At which some point we'll jump in and we'll do a sermon series on. But in order to be prepared, how do I protect my family? I have to prepare for battle with the right weapons. In other words, you need to train your kids. You need to impress it upon their hearts. You need to be praying for them day in and day out. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your children? Do you pray that God would protect them, that God would guard them, that God would raise them up and call them out? That God would use them in a great way because prayer changes everything. And then number three is this, that I have to obey God in every area, every area. Not some, not a few, but I need to align my, my life with the truth of God's word. Second Corinthians, or sorry, I got Corinthians in my mind. Second Timothy chapter three, where we were just at, at the very end, kicks off and tells us the very thing that we have to align ourselves up under in order to stand against the attacks of Satan. Jesus used scripture in Matthew chapter four. Every time Satan came at Jesus, Jesus quoted scripture. Why? Because Satan twisted it. Remember what we talked about earlier? Satan would twist scripture to make Jesus think that might be the answer. And Jesus is like, no, 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 bro. You're lying. You're twisting truth. And listen, today, church, kids, parents, Satan will twist the truth in your mind to get you to think that what you're doing is okay when it's out of line with God's word. In order to stand against the attacks of Satan, I have to use scripture. Listen to what it says in verses 15 and following. And we highlighted this last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Here's the impress it upon your children part, right? Which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How do I protect my family? Then I obey God in every area of my life and I let them know that salvation only comes through Jesus that the rescue plan only comes through Jesus, that life only comes through Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection purchased us, bought us, redeemed us so that we can experience the abundance of life God had for us. What makes you think you don't need Scripture? In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to stand and protect your family, then you need God's Word so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work to invest in the lives of your children, to love them with great grace, to know that they're going to make mistakes and to lead them to the truth, to point them to Jesus. You can't make the decision for them. 
There's no grandchildren in God's world. There's only children. In other words, it's not based upon a bloodline. Well, I was related to a Christian, so I'm a believer. No. You're a believer when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead. That's what saves you. Listen, Satan attacks are relentless. His ways are known, but oftentimes we're okay with just letting him kind of stay there. And what I want you to know is this. We have to get serious about this. The church has to remain steadfast against the ways that Satan works, that we watch the ploys of Satan in our families that we watch, that we see that he does not work through our family to attack the church. Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Because he hates you. But the good news is that God loves you. He loved you so much he sent his son. He loved you so much that he sent his son and his son said, I'm willing and obedient and I'm going to be obedient to the Father and I'm going to the cross to bear the weights and the burdens and the sins of everybody. And that, listen, even if you don't believe right now, Jesus still died on the cross for you. And that's the truth you can hold on to. That's the hope you have. That's the only way you defeat the fiery darts of Satan as he comes against you in every way he can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth for the truth that you reveal to us through your son. And God, I know that, that today that there are some who come in maybe, maybe weary, burdened, overwhelmed by the attacks, lost, confused, hurt, feeling like there's no hope. God, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them right now. Let them feel your warmth, your presence. God, we pray that your spirit would just love on them, that they would understand that you see where they're at. You see their need. You see their journey and their struggle. Maybe they've never placed their faith and trust in Christ, and it's just a simple response today that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and they acknowledge that he rose again. They confess that. God, today I pray that you wake us up. Maybe some of us within the church, maybe some of our families, maybe, maybe parents and, and, and the like, we, we've, we've become zombies to a certain extent, walking through, going through the motions and not paying attention to the spiritual warfare that goes on around us. And we know that it started so subtly, but now it's so blatant and obvious. God, may we be people who listen to your word. May we watch for those circumstances and those struggles and those difficulties and situations that arise. May we have spiritual eyes that look at the things we face and hit them head on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.